Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're talking USC Trojan football. As always, we've got a great show for you today. A bunch of topics, lots of questions. Got Keely Yore in studio, Dan Weber on the line. We'll shout out to them in just a minute, but just want to let you know, if you have any questions or comments, it's a long off-season, people. We need some topics to talk about because... Things get a little boring after a while, but, you know, there's always stuff to talk about. Give us some ideas. Email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. But more importantly, and Keely brought this up before we started recording, hey, we want some voicemails from you guys. Call us. You know that thing in your hand that you, you're checking Google and all that stuff? You can actually make phone calls with that. Dial 424-254-9141. Then talk a little bit, about a minute or so. Let us know what you think about USC football. What do you want us to talk about? Or if you're a little lazier, you want to text us, you can do that too. 424-254-9141. We appreciate all the forms of contact and all the ideas and comments and questions and criticisms, all of that here on the show. So thanks for keeping it relevant and fresh throughout the whole offseason. And we get rolling again uh, once fall camp starts and all that. We want you to uh, go to iTunes or wherever you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a positive review, five-star rating, something like that. Any kind of feedback. Tell your friends. Anything will help us propagate the show to more USC fans, grow the show, and make it a better overall experience for all of you. So that's a long, rambling off-season introduction. I'll let uh, catch my breath and let Keely talk for a second. How are you doing, Keely? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. Like we said, we want your voicemails, people. You know, Jason in Longhorn Country, he really, he does us a solid, he's a solid contributor, but everyone else needs to step their game up. Uh, yeah, perfect. There's some really good voicemailers, so we want you to, you know, bring bring the heat, bring it and uh, <laughs> let us know. And, you know, it's the off season. If it goes a little long, I'll play it, like, because we don't get that many right now. When we get like 10 voicemails, if it's two minutes long, we're probably not going to play it. But Are you asking for a basketball no, 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 no. I'm just saying length of what no, okay. no, I'm, I'm you skipping said anything. Ba- you said I anything. will skip basketball. I will skip baseball. You know, the shotgun's not around. We're not going <laughs> to I'll send that to the uh, Family Feud podcast. Oh, okay, thanks for that. If you want to do that. And then we got Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan. How you doing? Good to be here. Yeah, uh, doing here okay. That's the shortest, like, usually when I say hello, I get like 10 minutes. So that was, you know, that's kind of quick, but that's good. Dan. We're keeping this more efficient and. Yep. Uh, <laughs> And timely, a few things at the top of the show. Um, just re- remind everyone, Tour to Piers this weekend. If you want to donate to my team, you can still do that. Clay Helton's going to be out there if you're in Manhattan Beach on Sunday, uh, May 19th. Uh, Clay Helton and uh, Jake Olson will both be there riding uh, stationary bikes. I'll be down there. Come say hello. And if you want to donate to my team, you can just Google Tour to Pier and, and my name, Ryan Abraham, and you can do that. But just come out and say hello. It's a, it's great. They have a flyover. It's a it's a really cool event. Uh, the base of the Manhattan Beach Pier. That's Sunday morning, uh, five nineteen. And also want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, I'm going through the the uh, almond butter granola like crazy. I got to buy it like twice a week now. Uh, that's been my breakfast of choice uh, going forward. But we've been making a lot of dinners uh, from Trader Joe's and just great stuff. And it's always a good experience when you go into a Trader Joe's. It's not like you walk in there and and you feel like people are bothering you or just it seems dirtier. It's just always clean. It's always fresh. It's just it's just a good overall experience. There's not there's not that many great experiences every in a daily life. You know, there's all kinds of weird things you're reading on Twitter. Walk into Trader Joe's and you feel pretty happy about yourself. It's true. It's a nice environment. Happy people. I feel like their their staffers are always very happy. Yeah, it's a good vibe. Yeah, our buddy John. Uh, you know, I guess he keeps everyone. Uh, Hype out there, but it is, you know, just think about that. Like, you walk in, it's like, this is pretty good experience. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, there's a lot of weird experiences out there. That's not one of them. Uh, but thanks again to Trader Joe's, they've been awesome to us over the last couple of years being a sponsor of the show. Um, Dan, okay, here's by the way, I think what you guys just said, those are documented because I think I have seen a ranking that listed Trader Joe's employees as the most, uh, you know, friendly, helpful. You know, outgoing on kind of one of those scientific uh, surveys where they survey all the, you know, large, uh, you know, chain 
uh, stores and grocery stores and that. And, uh, and Trader Joe's came out number one for employee uh, helpfulness and friendliness. So uh, good for them. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I did yeah. not know that. Um, okay. So there was a tweet that went out. Let me see. It was, uh, I guess it was two days ago uh, from, it's uh, Jeffrey, it's at Jeffrey underscore J underscore A. And what he did was he took a screenshot from uh, the USC ticket website where you can, where you're trying to, so a lot of the season ticket holders are, are putting, you know, putting in requests for different seats or moving around or whatever. Um, and they give you like a rendering of the new Coliseum and where your seats would be. It looks like from Jeffrey's picture, I guess this section is probably like higher up in section 11. Um, so you are basically high up, but on the side of that new scholarship tower and his tweet, he tweeted and added, he uh, tagged USC Psycho and he replied. And then I replied and it kind of started this whole little Twitter storm or whatever. Uh, but there's all these seats in the rendering right up next to the building. So there is no way, even from the section that he's showing from, which looks like pretty far over section 11, it's kind of far back. You can't see the corner of uh, the peristyle end zone from this seat. So all the seats, there's like, you know, at least 20 or 30 seats to his to the right of that, cl- closer to the building, if you can picture that. Or you can go to Twitter and, and see it. I tweeted it out. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of seats there that are going to be obstructed views. And he said, LOL, how does SC expect to sell seats with views like this? And uh, so I tweeted out, like, this is something that Dan Weber had pointed out from the very beginning. The side of the building isn't beveled. It's, you know, it's basically flat. So all those seats right next to the building and further across, depending on how high up you are, are going to be blocking partial view of the end zone. So I pointed, Dan, that that's something you pointed out from the beginning. And then some people were responding. I said, well, I don't think that they're going to actually have seats there. This is just a rendering. And then uh, I got a call from someone over at USC yesterday morning and they clarified um, that actually, so I just to let you know, there will be seats like basically right next to the building that are going to be unusable um, and there'll be very obstructed views. So for football, there's a lot of seats that will exist in the new Coliseum that will not be used and they will not be sold because they're going to have obstructed views. The reason they put those in there, at least according to the, the USC spokesperson that I talked to, was for the historical society, they wanted to keep the integrity of the bowl and have seats filled out throughout the you know throughout the bowl. So even if they're next to the building and you can't use them because you can't see half the field, they're still going to have seats there. Now they might have a concert or something that's on one side of the you know in the end zone or something, and you could use those seats for that. But for football, there'll be seats there, but not used. That's a kind of long rambling thing, but I just wanted to, that was a tweet that kind of happened a couple of days ago. Things sort of spiraled out of control a little bit, Dan. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on all that. Well, I, I think if any one thing perfectly demonstrates uh, the disaster of the redesign, that would be it. Where, yes, we're putting seats in there. No, you can't sit in them. No, we can't sell them. No, you can't see the whole field, but we're still going to put them in there. Okay. Here's the thing. I can't wait for the first sold-out game at the Coliseum where you have the Goodyear blimp flying over the Coliseum and showing the sold-out Coliseum with sections unoccupied. That's going to be bizarre. They'll have seats. People are going to say, wait a minute. It's sold out? You got all those seats? Oh, they're just there for show. You can't really see the whole field. I mean... Uh, Jeffrey was very kind about the number of seats that he kind of outlined that you couldn't see. Those are the ones you, could, you couldn't see almost anything. But that whole section, uh, until you get down to almost the very beginning of that section, the lowest part, you're not going to be able to see the other end zone. You're not going to be able to see, you know, plays at the near, uh, you know, the near side of the field at the other end of the field. So... I mean, I think you're talking about uh, thousands of seats on both sides. You think and, that many? Like, my, Jan and my wife asked me last night, I'm like, it's probably one or 2,000 seats. And she's like, that many? And I'm like, I think so, because it's almost like almost like two full sections, it looks like, right? Like, Yeah. When I plotted it out, I thought I got m- most of 
most of two, the top two sections, and then, you know, halfway down on the next sections. Uh, and and I, I can't remember now which one of the uh, is more uh, obstructed than the other because the, college, uh, the tower is not centered because the field was moved you know, closer to the, uh, you know, the bowl you know, uh, of the end zone uh, away from the peristyle. So one of them is more obstructed than the other. And I, I you know, it, I, I forget now which way that works, but one side of the, co- of the uh, tower will be worse than the other. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it's close to, you know, 2,500 to 3,000 will have some obstruction. Now, you know, who's going to make the decision as to where the cutoff line is? You know, should, should you be able to see the entire field, including, uh, you know, the entire end zone? I think you should, but, but I don't know how they're going to make that judgment. But I just think it's going to look so weird to have a sellout game with sections with nobody in them. That's just going to be, you know, more, you know, demonstration of how crazy this is. Although, the most crazy thing is what they told you. They wanted to put those seats in there to keep the integrity of the bowl when they've just dropped in a 300-foot-long, you know, building in the middle and took yeah. out 45 rows for, a, for the entire length of the stadium, and they talk about keeping the integrity of the bowl? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's crazy. That's, that's such... Yeah, it's crazy talk. I mean, no one believes that. I, I feel sorry for the person at USC that had to tell you that. And then to say that the historical preservation people who said, yeah, stick that, uh, stick that aircraft carrier in the, in the middle of the Coliseum would say, we need those seats put in there to preserve the integrity of the ball. That's insanity. I mean, really, whoever said that, don't ever say that again. That's just <laughs> so ridiculously wrong. Don't say it. It's really stupid. You're saying we're putting in these seats to keep the integrity because they're right next to this monstrosity of a, of a tower that we put all the way down to the 45th row. Uh, took out 45 rows of seats, you know, almost 10,000 seats. No, no, don't do it. Don't embarrass yourself. I'm curious what the because I think the seventy seven thousand that they're quoting includes those seats that you can't sell. I, my guess I'm is a, that I think they do too. Uh, that's my understanding. So it's not yeah. you're not going to be able to get that many people in there. And yeah, that that joke kind of wrote itself as soon as I tweeted that. And you know it was nice. Like the the call from USC was very you know, I, I, and I felt like I was somewhat defending. USC in the Coliseum, when right. I, I followed up with a tweet, like, hey, I don't think they're selling those seats. This is just a rendering. They're probably not, don't, they probably don't even exist. But then I found out they actually do. So I was like giving them more of the benefit of the doubt there. Right. Um, but, you well, know. Who would, you would, you were giving them the benefit of reasonableness <laughs> and sanity. Who would put in seats that no one's going to sit in? No one would do that. You know, put in a, a little garden or something, you know, put in trees. I don't know something but seats that nobody's going to sit in yeah yikes that's just uh, i mean it says it all it just says it all it's a, it's baffling for sure um but we'll see and that, so there will be a preseason rams game i'm sure there you know we might just have to go to that just to scout and see you know what it's like and what which seats you know count how many seats are that suck you, know, you can't you can't see part of the field, you know, um, but that's whatever. That was just a thing that was going on Twitter. I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. No, I'm glad you put that in there. I thought that was, uh, that was a good chance to, to prepare people for, for what's coming. I, I think everything we've told people was coming is coming. Yeah. You know, what we said was going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. How it works out. I don't know. I mean, I think now you've got a chance for, you know, that, uh, that Fresno state game, uh, with the number of fans, Fresno, you know, they're all excited. They finished 18th last year and, you know, 12 and one and Jeff Tedford, you know, as much as they've lost, they, they're still excited as heck. And, uh, you know, I think they, you know, they're going to come down here thinking, you know, we're going to, we're going to beat USC this time. We're, you know, we got the better team and, um, uh, it's the biggest game, you know, for USC and Clay Helton, my big, biggest game in Clay Helton's career. And, um, you know, 
USC fans, you would think, would want to show up because it's the first real game in the Coliseum. Uh, you know, the Rams is an exhibition game, so it doesn't exactly count. Uh, you would think USC fans would really want to show up just to look at the Coliseum and just to see what the whole Graham Harrell, you know, stuff is all about and how's that going to work. So I would think there's a chance that they're going to get, you know, close to close to that number. They uh, might, yeah. Because you know. like and Fresno State will bring down like 20,000. So you could get yeah. just getting 55 from USC, you're going to get close to capacity. Right. And then you're going to look at those seats and say, wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> hey, you know, uh, and maybe they'll sell them. They could sell them a standing room, and everybody could like run to the one end of this of that section when the ball goes down the other way or something. I don't, you know, who knows? Just yeah. brainstorming here. But that's uh, what that's one of the topics I wanted to bring up too, Dan, because you pointed out. I think it was a was it a USA Today column where they're looking at opening weekend um, for college football, and that was one of the more intriguing matchups, USC versus Fresno State. Yeah, they just uh, it just came out today. They did the top ten matchups uh, for opening weekend, and USC-Fresno was uh, number three uh, of, you know, of all the top ten, I think, without a doubt. Uh, I think that's correct because so much is riding on it. You know, the whole, you know, Clay Helton uh, last year was just a blip. We're going to – we got ourselves going in the right direction. You know, the – Graham Harrell's uh, uh, not quite air raid offense, and um, you know we got a lot of talent on defense. And this year, where they're going to actually be allowed to to play and, and go get after people and all that. And uh, so there's, I would think, you know, if you're a USC fan just for the football, you might want to come. If you're an LA sports fan just for the Coliseum, you might want to come. And if you're a Fresno fan, you would think you definitely want to come. So, uh, so I think, yeah, I think uh, for all kinds of reasons that. That could really be exciting, uh, uh, you know, day and uh, and, and how the uh, how the Coliseum, you know, the redesign, uh, you know, survives the, you know, the first uh, contact with USC fans is going to be interesting. Yeah. So Clay Hilton's first game as head coach at USC, right, was Fresno State. The uh, interim was it the Las Vegas Bowl. Wasn't that his first one? Oh, it was. Yeah. It, I, I totally. Yeah. Then that was uh, that was a really good, you know. Clay has fond memories of that. USC fans, you know, have fond memories of that. That was a great way to, you know, uh, that was the season with four head coaches, you know, something that would never be matched in the history of the NCAA. You know, not a, not a chance that, uh, that you're ever going to see anything like that again. But uh, just a, an amazing year. Started with Lane Kiffin and then Ed Orgeron and then uh, – and then Clay named for the Las Vegas Bowl before the bowl. Steve Sarkeesian was named uh, to be the next head coach. So you had four coaches in one year. Again, USC doing something that nobody's ever done in the history of college football. <laughs> and what could go wrong? You know, you could blaze some trails when you're USC. Uh, one more okay. thing. Uh, well, I guess two more things before we uh, jump into questions. Uh, you had a column this week, Dan, about the, uh, I think it was a sporting news. They put that together, their all-time yeah. college football programs. And I, I think the, the national championships have to matter. And I d just didn't seem like national championships mattered all that much. Uh, there was more maybe of a recency bias or something. But what get your thoughts on that if people haven't read your column yet. Yeah, I mean, they what they did was they... Uh, they they came up with a formula that if you you were you know finished the, the season number one you got 25 points if you finished the season number two you got 24 and you finished it you know number five <laughs> you got 21 or whatever that's nuts I mean it's so much more important uh, and says so much more about a season than uh, you know than if you finish number one or if you finish number four or five but in their formula it almost didn't matter. They started in 1935, so that cut out USC's first three national champions in 28 and uh, 31 and 32, I guess. Uh, where I think you know they said, well, we started when the AP poll started. But I think if you're going to start like college football when it became a national sport, you start in the 20s. That's when you know Notre Dame came on the scene, and you know the Big Ten was the Big Ten, and you know you were building stadiums like the Coliseum and the Rose Bowl. And, uh, and so, so that probably, uh, you know, hurt USC a little bit, but when you, their formula came up with the greatest all-time college football program was Oklahoma. Well, that's just, that's silly. That's nuts. That's just, you just say, okay, we have to come up with a new formula 
this one's obviously screwed up because uh, I think Oklahoma's record against USC is two and six. Um, the record against Notre Dame is two and eight, uh, and yet they had um, they had Alabama number two, um, boom, boom, uh, Ohio State number three, uh, Michigan number four. Again, Michigan is. When was the last time Michigan was really relevant in college football? I mean, really, really relevant. I don't think I can remember. In the 90s, uh, right? <laughs> like 98. Maybe. I don't even remember in the 90s. Well, they won a national yeah. championship or, or whatever, right? Or, or wait, did they? Or, no, they won the Heisman. And yeah, they, they split a national championship in, in, uh, in the ni- like 98 or something like that, I think. Maybe. Then that tells you how, how big an impression that, that team made <laughs> on me. And then uh, and Notre Dame was number five. Oh, I'm sorry, Notre Dame, Alabama, and USC. I think under almost every circumstance, if every measuring stick from, you know, NFL draft picks and Hall of Famers and Heisman winners and national championships and bowl wins and you name it, um, those three are kind of in a class by themselves. I'm sorry, you know, Ohio State, you know, might be right next <coughs> coming on, but Oklahoma. I'm sorry. No, that, that's just that's ridiculous. Yeah, obviously they finished in the top five every year, but they were in the pack. I mean, excuse me, the Big Eight. You know, they were playing Kansas and Iowa State, and they hardly played. I mean, for example, I think USC has 140 games all time against the other top five. Uh, Oklahoma has like 30. You know, I mean, Oklahoma just didn't play Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame, or USC much. Whereas USC played all of those teams. All those teams kind of played one another, and you could kind of get a feel. And Alabama. USC played Alabama. So uh, I just thought it was just silly, and they shouldn't have published it, and you hate to give them any more. You know, uh, it was college football news that did it originally, but then 24-7 published it. And uh, I just think you got to think a little bit more uh, when you do something like that. It's got to be more about history. I mean, they mentioned for Oklahoma, they said, Wow, they've made the college football playoffs three of the last four years, and they gave up like 190 points. You know, <laughs> they lost all three games. They didn't win a two. You know, oh, they had two Heisman Trophy winners. Well, the difference between them and USC, when USC had back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners, you know, they were winning national championships. Oklahoma wasn't. I mean, it's just it was a uh, a really bad job. And I'm not, you know, trying to say USC ought to be number one. I know there are people who think that. I probably don't, would not agree with that. I just think if you want to go history, you probably got to go uh, Alabama and yeah. Notre Dame. You probably do. USC's there, but, you know, they're, they're you know, like, I don't know what, what the record, 47, 48, 37, 5 against Notre Dame. And they're, uh, I think they're only 2 6 and 0 oh against Alabama. So, uh, you know, had a couple of really big wins against Alabama, but uh, but I, I would find it hard to you know put USC ahead of those two. But other than that, I don't. And there's nobody that deserves a spot higher than than USC. Yeah, no, I agree. Certainly with you. not Oklahoma. No, and uh, so just for Michigan, they did win. They split the national championship in '97. They were AP number one, and Nebraska was the coaches' poll number one, and that's when Charles Woodson, Woodson won right. the Heisman. Yeah, so I mean. They were they were definitely good and, back and, then. And you got to give him credit, Charles Woodson. Despite what he has admitted about what his situation was at Michigan, he still has his Heisman. Yeah, uh, he didn't bother <laughs> to take his back uh, no. for some reason. Um, uh, yeah, cool. So check that out. Check that column out on uscfootball.com, um, and that, you know should be some good stuff there. Before we jump into the questions, I just want to let people know we have, and I put up a story late last week. I guess it was a, a couple of days ago. So we're calling it our uscfootball.com post-spring State of the Union event. So most of the uscfootball.com staff will be there. I think Shotgun's the only one that's going to be uh, out of town. But what we're going to do, it's going to be at on June 1st, which is a Saturday, from 3 to 6 p.m. This is over in Hawthorne, a common space brewery and, uh, and, and tasting room. And uh, so the, the owner, the founder, is a, a USC MBA grad. And I went over there, did a little tasting and stuff. Very cool space. So we're going to have a big private room. Um, lots of beers will be on tap. There's food trucks that will be outside. You can kind of eat. It's a free event. Just come down, and we're going to have a panel. Everyone on the uscfootball.com staff, we're going to set up and record 
a bunch of podcast segments with everyone from our staff. So myself, Dan, Keeley, uh, Gerard Martinez, our, our national recruiting analyst will be there. Chris Trevino as well. But we're also going to have some special guests. So we're going to have, it's a cool lineup so far, I'm trying to add to it. So Jake Olson, so USC's you know former long snapper who just happens to be blind. You know, he's just graduated. He's an inspirational speaker. He's a co-founder of Engage, which is like a talent booking service. Uh, they're going to be doing a bunch of events. I'm going to do some events with him and his crew later on, but we're going to have him come to this event and, uh, you know, it's free. You can come. So we'll have him as a guest panelist. We're going to have Bruce Feldman, who's one, you know, probably the foremost college football insider there is. Uh, you can read his stuff on The Athletic, and he, of course, is a sideline reporter for Fox Sports. He lives in the South Bay. I happen to be good friends with him, and he said he would come out and, uh, and join us there, too. So any kind of college football questions, he'll be able to answer. And we'll, what we'll do is we'll have the panel, and we'll talk, but then we'll have a microphone for people that are there. They can come up and ask a question, like, right on the podcast. So instead of calling in or whatever, you'll actually be there in the room. Uh, we have Lawrence Jackson, former uh, USC All-American, and he was a first-round NFL draft pick. So you'll get him uh, out there. And we're gonna, I've got a Rosh Markazi, too. Uh, so he's an L.A. Times sports columnist, uh, and, you know, adjunct professor at USC. Of course, he's a USC grad, worked at ESPN, SI, and stuff. So um, lots of he's, you know, he's had a sit-down with Lynn Swan. There's, so it should be interesting. We're going to try to get a, a couple other former players, too, maybe even an assistant coach or something. But it's, it's going to be a really cool event. So Saturday, June 1st. Uh, let us know. Email me podcast at uscfootball.com if you'd like to go just so we can get an RSVP or something. But the uh, story's up on the site and it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Keely, you looking forward to it? It's always a fun time when we all get together. And yeah. it's it's hard for all of us as a site, as a team to get together in one place. So when we are together, it's fun. So I'm excited to see everybody. We hope you come out. Yeah. The Austin, when we had the meetup in Austin, that was that was, that was insanity. Crazy. I was not expecting how no. packed that was. We had over two, I think 250 people at that little bar. Uh we just yeah, it was insane. Yeah. So I hope certainly the best out. part of the Austin trip, yeah. without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, it, that's true. So many people came up to me. One of the guys I play uh volleyball with, um, and, uh, and I play in a league on Tuesday nights, and he's like, Oh, my my boss, like is a huge fan of yours. And he's like, I met you in Austin and took a picture with you and stuff. And he was like, wait, you don't Ryan Abraham. So it's pretty <laughs> funny. Like when that stuff like that happens, like, yeah, there's like this small, we, we, you know, they know us in these small circles, but yeah, the people that came out, they wanted to get pictures with me, Keely, Dan, all, that was fun. Yeah. My, this is uh, slightly related. My sister sent me a text this morning. She got an email at work. All it said was, is your sister Keely? And she was like, are you serious right now? <laughs> so it's a small circle, but it gets around. That is great. Mm-hmm. Dad, you looking forward to this one? I think this will be a good one. Uh, oh, absolutely. If, uh, if a Ross is going to be there, I mean, come on. I mean, a Ross only goes to the, uh, you know, the, the coolest places and the biggest gigs. So, uh, that alone puts the, uh, the imprimatur of cool on that, uh, on that get together, uh, that, that Ross will be there. Dude. Yeah. Doesn't get any better than a Rosh. There should be a little something for everybody um, with, you know, Rosh, Bruce, uh, Lawrence, and uh, Jake Olson. I'll try to get another former player. It would be great if we could get someone on the staff. I don't know if they'll be able to come. It's kind of recruiting time, but we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, definitely let us know if you'd like to come out there. Check out the site. We, you know, we tweeted out the story. I'll have to tweet it out again. But um, should be a really fun event. All right. Uh, lots of topics, I guess, we had today. Yeah. Should we jump into questions, Keely? Let's do it. We have a question from John in Oakland. He says, thanks for a great interview with Dr. Bartner. I was in the Trojan marching band for four years in the 80s, and hearing his voice was fun. I vividly still hear him in my head yelling, torture drill, the band equivalent of up-downs. Then the whole band would march in place for several long minutes after screwing something up in practice. So many cool band stories and memories. So now for my football question for Ryan, Dan, and Keeley. Looking back on last season, in your opinion, which team in the Pac-12 had the most disappointing regular season? I would maintain that it was Washington, not USC. UW picked, was picked by many to not just win the Pac-12, but also be in the playoffs with a four-year starting Heisman candidate quarterback. Neither happened. Peterson has a 69% win record at Washington compared to Helton's 65% at USC, and the Washington record includes wins against five FCS teams, uh, while USC has never played a lower Division I opponent. Why does Chris Peterson always get a pass in the media and label the superstar head coach after his Pac-12 teams consistently underperform? Thanks again, and fight on, John in Oakland. 
I, that's a really good observation, and I do believe, for example, uh, <clears throat> had USC had a uh, Heisman candidate quarterback who didn't get drafted after his senior year, I think there'd be a lot of talk about how bad the development process is at USC. And there's no disputing some of that. But uh, but Washington does seem to get a pass uh, in some ways. I mean, yeah, they had eight guys drafted this last year, and that was a pretty uh, pretty average uh, season, I, I would think, you know, for for Washington. Uh, you know, considering that that really you know should have been you know one of their their real good teams. You know, I still you would have to go really a long way to convince me that anything was more disappointing than the way USC finished in the Pac-12, losing, you know, home games at, to Arizona State and, uh, and Cal, and then getting just crushed by UCLA, a, a two-win UCLA team crushing USC in the Rose Bowl when they don't even bother to show up. Uh, I'm still thinking that qualifies as, as the worst performance by a, a Pac-12 team last year. But your points about Washington are, are well taken. Yeah, I mean, there's some good points there. But, this, you know, you got to look at what Chris Peterson's done. He's built that program up. He's changed the way they're recruited. This is the first time they've had a recruiting class ranked ahead of USC's. He's made the playoff. Now, they had a, a four-year starting quarterback, like you said, but he had limited, you know, physical tools. And, and that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, if he was playing at USC, maybe he would have got drafted like a like a Cody Kessler did, and he just actually signed with the uh, got cut by Jacksonville, but signed uh, try to be the backup in in Philadelphia. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm impressed with what Chris Peterson has done at Washington. I don't think the expectations are as high. I think he's you know gone about doing things the right way. Now Clay Helton went up there and beat him a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, great defensive performance. You know, Sam Darnold certainly uh, looked like a better quarterback. Uh, that day, but I, and you know, Washington's lost some, some weird ones, but they've been consistently, you know, they're beating the crap out of Washington state. Mike Leach can't figure them out. They've done a lot of good. I think they've done a lot more good things than they've done, you know, bad things. If I'm a Washington fan, I don't think I'm disappointed at what uh, Chris Peterson's done there. Now you're going to see like a Jacob Eason or someone starting there. What can they do with the talent that Washington has amassed? They've lost, you know, year after year lost, First round NFL draft picks on the defense. So one year they had four of the top forty four picks on defense gone, and their defense was almost even better uh, the next year. So yeah, I mean you can nitpick on some of the stuff that Chris Peterson's done, but I feel like the direction that they're going, it's you know I wouldn't be betting against Washington this year. Oregon's going to get all the hype, but I'm still going to be picking Washington to, to win the North. Yeah, I, I think uh, he's he's got it to a point where. I think they're going to perform <clears throat> pretty well. Uh, I don't know that they're ever going to quite get over that. You know, I think it's just uh, you are limited a little bit by your geography. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you've got Southern California as opposed to what I mean, I think he can go uh, pretty far. I think, you know, the last time they were really good, national championship good, they were probably doing some things that you're probably not supposed to do. Uh, and, uh, and if you can't do that or won't do that, I think it's, it's just, it's really hard. I do think there's a built-in advantage there to coming out of the Pac-12. If you could get the kind of program that could dominate the Pac-12, which USC should have, you ought to be able to say, we're going to the playoffs this year. It was like when P. Rose, or P. Rose, gee, mm-hmm. I'm taking back to my Cincinnati roots, Pete Carroll, uh, talked about the, you know, we're going to the Rose Bowl every year. And that's where we just assume we're going to end up. Uh, and that's what I think, you know, whoever gets that program going in the Pac-12, uh, you got to have the assumption we're going to run the table in the Pac-12 every year and we're going to get into the playoffs. And I just think that has to be the goal. I think Washington obviously is the closest to that, but, uh, but that's where USC ought to be. Uh, and th- it'll be interesting this year. USC gets a chance to, to go back there and uh, and you know the second second you know game for uh, Clay Helton in in Seattle and gets that right away. I mean in September and uh, that'll be fun. 
Could you argue that UCLA had the most disappointing season? I know whenever <laughs> you beat USC, that's a win for US- UCLA fans. But given the Chip Kelly hype, were they expecting more than what happened in 2018? More than three wins? Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, Kaylee, you make the great point about the Pac-12. You could probably make the case about a whole bunch of teams. If you're talking about the Pac-12, who's the most disappointing? I, I think there are a lot of candidates. Uh, yeah. It's the yeah. Pac-12 last year. I mean, Yeah, I'm looking you know? at the, the, the regular season uh, win and loss column, and I'm like, you can make an argument. You're right, Dan. You can make an argument for a lot of teams for, for disappointing in the Pac-12, which is probably not a good sign for the state of the conference. Uh, it's Larry Scott's, uh, you know. Larry Scott's league, and what would you expect uh, from uh, a Larry Scott-led league? Hard to argue with that. Uh, We have a question from Michael in Newport Beach. He says, over the past several years, there have been several different NCAA rule changes, such as extending the fall camp uh, before the season starts, moving the recruiting period up to December, allowing freshmen to play four games and still redshirting, and now the transfer portal. Can you comment on how you think Clay Helton and the staff have adapted to these changes, or have they kept business as usual and not taken advantage of these changes? Thanks and fight on, Michael from Newport. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, kind of a USC, uh, you know, failing that, hey, we're USC, we can kind of keep doing what we do because we've got all these built-in advantages of being USC. Uh, and probably they don't have the staff always to, you know, adjust or they don't have the nimble-footedness or the, or the you know, the backing in terms of budget <clears throat> in order to say, uh-oh, you know, they're changing the recruiting you know, the whole recruiting timetable, that's going to require more people on the front end. We've got to figure out how to do it. Don't, I don't think you saw that with USC. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think USC reacted like USC always does. Like, you know, hey, we've been successful in the past doing it our way, and we'll do it. We'll keep doing it. But, you know, I think they're adjusting slowly, and, but I, and I do think they're adjusting. I think they're trying. Uh, you know, they're never going to throw a whole lot of money at, at a lot of these problems. But, uh, or, or, see, I, I know people look at them as problems. I think they're opportunities, you know, for USC, uh, you know, to take advantage of them. But uh, it, it takes a while, it seems like, for USC to, to, to jump out in front and say, you know, we're going to do it better than anybody. We're going to do it, you know, right away. We're going to take advantage of it. There's that kind of thing that you see at Alabama just because Nick Saban is Nick Saban, or you see at Clemson because Dabo Swinney is Dabo Swinney, that they're going to, you know, do it. And Ohio State has always been, certainly under Urban, was, was trying to push the envelope. You don't get the sense, and Georgia probably doing the same thing, you don't get the sense quite that USC is pushing that envelope and just jumping on all the changes that come their way and saying, how can we make this work you know, for us better? No, I agree with you, Dan. And I'll give you, this isn't a restaurant analogy, Keely, but this is more of a historical <laughs> mm. sort of analogy. And I think I, I agree with you, Dan. I feel like they're not pushing the envelope. But part of the reason is because they really haven't had to. It's sort of like you go back to like World War II and you got – uh, you know, Europe, all these these countries clustered up together, competing with, you know, you got Germany, say Germany's like Alabama and and Britain's uh, Ohio State or something. Like there's there's these battles and stuff going on. And USC sort of like all on its own, like the United States, like all on its own. And they don't really have anyone around them that are the, that big of a threat, you know, and they don't have to push the envelope. They're, they don't have to do those sort of things. They'd have to get dragged into uh, those kind of conflicts by, you know, Pearl Harboring or whatever. Uh, and it still took them years to go on and, and, and you know, start a front in the uh, in the European, um, you know, part of the part of the war. But maybe that's not the greatest analogy, but it's sort of like the United States didn't really have to. They're isolated. They're the you know, they're king of their castle in their area. There's a lot of weird co- competition stuff going on, over, you know, away from them. But where they are, they don't really have to do that. And when a rule changes, something happens, you're not always going to be as quick to react. And I, I feel like what Michael was saying is true. Some of the, you know, the early signing period stuff, USC wasn't exactly jumping on board uh, because they, they've had the system that's just worked and you, you sort of are, you're, you know, insulated, I guess a little bit being USC. You don't, it's like you're Alabama, but there's no LSU or Auburn 
or Tennessee or Florida, anywhere near you, where Alabama has to be great around other great people. And USC, they've been great, but they really haven't had greatness around them to compete with them, if that makes any sense. Uh, Absolutely. They're not pushed until just recently. I mean, you know, they hadn't adjusted and still, you know, won a Rose Bowl and, and, you know, got to the, you know, Cotton Bowl and won the Pac-12. And so, you know, there wasn't that, you know, three-alarm fire like, okay, now it's here, you know, and you better you, you better adjust. But you're right. They didn't, you know, they had so many built-in advantages that uh, they just thought that was going to, you know, carry them. It's, it's not. People, you know, too many people are trying too hard and trying to take advantage of every, uh, you know, competitive edge that there is. And, and USC's got to, you know, got to do the same thing. I don't think you've got a choice. Mm-hmm. We have a question from Eric in Duck Country. He says, I think the air raid combined with USC's talent will be a successful combination. That being said, which of the defenses on USC's 2019 schedule do you think might be able to stop this new offense? Thanks. Well, I mean, everybody says, you know, Washington has done, you know, so well against Washington State's air raid. Uh, I guess a couple of those times, as I remember those games, they were played in the snow, uh, you know, in Pullman. So I'm not sure that those were, you know, as true at best. And, and obviously, USC is going into those games with a lot more talent. I mean, I thought the last time USC and Washington lined up, it was just obvious USC had better athletes, had more better athletes. Uh, you know, is that the case still? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it'll be in Seattle, uh, but but I I think that that defense probably has the you know has the best shot at uh, you know at stopping you you know at USC. But you know, I think Notre Dame and South Bend is is going to be tough. They've become you know very physical, and that's what Notre Dame needed. You know, they needed to you know become you know the physical tough guy Notre Dame mentality uh, you know again and and. You know, I, I'm not sure how that matches up uh, until we see, you know, Graham Harrell's offense, you know, and guys running the grass. He can be awfully tough, but if they can get to that spot, that open spot on the field before your guys can get there, uh, you know, doesn't matter maybe how tough you are. Uh, if they can, you know, do what they want to do, uh, and you basically have to keep reacting. So, uh, but, uh, but I think you'd go with maybe those two would be the, the you know the best candidates washington notre dame yeah yeah i agree i would agree too uh don says what are the terms of graham harrell's contract if it is multiple years will that affect the hire of the new head coach would urban meyer be willing to become (laughs) head coach with graham harrell as the oc (laughs) so you it's a a fait accompli on the new head coach and, and and all of that i mean you know we don't even know for sure. If USC doesn't have to release those terms. They've got to release uh, how much they're paying a guy when they file the uh, IRS Form 990 when they have to list their top five employees at the university. But uh, until then, which is, you know, like a year and a half after the fact, um, you really don't. And, and you're still not going to know, you know, what the terms are. I mean, we don't know for sure the terms with Clay. I mean, you can, you can say, well, he signed an extension, uh, 2021 or whatever again for those who assume that's all guaranteed years you know i don't i don't you know i don't think we know that at all um so th- the chances of us knowing what you know graham harrell's uh you know situation and if you're going to hire urban meyer the, what the situation contractually is with your assistant coaches is so meaningless as to not even you know stop for a second to think about it, you know that's not where the the money would be. And if you're Urban Meyer, you know again we're we're talking completely hypothetically. If you're Urban Meyer and you watch what happens next year at USC, you might say, "Holy criminy! If I take that job, I have to keep that guy." Uh, and again, you know, if USC has the kind of year that you know some of us think they've got a chance to improve enough to be you know a whole lot better than last year. Uh, how many people come, you know, calling on Graham Harrell with head coaching jobs, you know, and, and how does that factor in, uh, you know, for USC if they've had a good year? Uh, there are a whole lot of, a lot of questions, but I'm not sure that the, the, you know, the top one on the, 
on the you know the list of questions is uh, how would you how would you know Graham Harrell's contract uh, impact hiring Urban Meyer? I'm just that's not gonna, that's not going to be a problem. I don't think. No, yeah, that's like uh, you I mean you're you're talking about a small. If you're going to go all the way and you're hiring Urban Meyer, I don't think that's going to be you know the the, the uh, contract of your 34-year-old offensive coordinator is not going to be getting in the way. There's been a lot bigger hurdles to get over before uh, if that's what's going to happen. So uh, interesting, but yeah, I don't think that's going to be... If you if that's the way USC goes, wherever, you know, we haven't seen USC kind of do that in the past as far as go out and get the big name that everybody wants. But if they did, uh, I mean, if they were interested in that, I don't think Graham Harrell would be uh, the roadblock that would uh, stop that from happening. Well, it's interesting he mentioned Urban Meyer because we have another Urban Meyer question. Oh. Eric, in Duck Country says, I totally understand why everyone is talking about Urban Meyer, but do people really think USC is going to pay someone $8 million per year, not to mention at least $1 million per coordinator? He'll want to quadruple the size of the recruiting staff, Want to complete? He'll, he'll want complete control of everything and instantly become the most powerful man on campus. We all know how those at the top at USC don't like giving up control. This is not to mention all the personal baggage. It makes sense if USC wants to commit to winning, but we've seen this isn't a priority. Ryan Keeley and Dan, do you really think this is possible? Thanks as always, Eric in Duck Country. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good question. All of those are legitimate issues. Uh, I don't think the money is exactly that big a deal. I mean, I think within the first week of hiring Urban Meyer, you have sold enough new season tickets to pay for his salary. I, I, that would be that would be my take right there. Uh, so I don't think the money is the issue. I think giving up control has not been easy for people at USC. I mean. You know, they couldn't have been happier when Pete Carroll left because then they didn't have anybody that they had to answer to. You know, they didn't have anybody that was, you know, wanted to do it his way or whatever. It was like, oh, boy, thank God he's gone. Uh, you know, we'll, now we can we can take over again. Um, so the, how the new president handles that, uh, that'd be interesting to see. I mean, you know, she's been in a place – at North Carolina, where basketball is king, and it didn't look like that bothered her that much. Um, I would think there, are, you know, I think Urban's personal baggage maybe in the last two, you know, his last two jobs uh, might be an issue. Uh, you know, in, in this world, uh, he's he's far enough away from direct, you know, hands-on involvement in those things, but there's still a, you know, a question of how much did he know, you know, what was going on in Florida, what was going on at Ohio State? Should he have, you know, known more? What's the real story and all that? That that would be a hurdle, I think, you know, to get past. Uh, could a, somebody at USC, a president, who said, you know what, it would be good to get back to the old, um, the days when USC is up there with, um, uh, you know, Ohio State and, and Alabama and uh Georgia's, I guess, the new and Clemson and all those. If somebody decided, you know, that's still not a bad place to be, um, and dominant in the Pac-12, then I think you could you could do it, and I think USC could do it. Uh, would they? That's you know, I think that's a really interesting question, and I don't I don't think we can possibly know the answer to that. But uh, but I don't think it's impossible. I wouldn't write it off as you know. Obviously, if uh, if Clay Helton can go unbeaten next year, they'll be thrilled to death. I mean, that would be like the, you know, the dream, uh, you know, scenario. And then, of course, then the scenario is, well, how do you keep Graham Harrell? Uh, but uh, <laughs> a lot of questions that are going to come on, come you know, come due over the next, uh, you know, half, you know, six months or so, and uh, and we'll see. But I think we can ask the questions. I don't think we can answer them. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, Eric, I think it's possible, but it's sort of like if you ever played that game, Mousetrap, there's all these things that have to uh, kind of happen between now and then. One, I mean, you would need USC to do poorly enough that Clay Helton wouldn't be retained as the coach, you know? So that's like the first step. But even before that, you have the new president coming in. What kind of changes is she, is Carol Folt going to make in the athletic department, if any? Um, if she's in there making some big changes, 
that would give you a, that would tip you off that hey this could happen they they want to make some real changes if they're just kind of uh just business as usual then i don't think it would be possible so if everyone's going to retain in the athletic department nothing's really changing do, even if clay helton uh did poorly and was fired i don't think that would indicate that they were going to go out and make a big move like getting an urban meyer but if carol full comes in and makes a bunch of changes and then USC struggles, and then Clay Helton gets fired, and maybe there's a new athletic director, then it seems a little bit more likely. But if Carol Folk comes in July 1st and you just don't see a lot of changes in the athletic department because she's got so many other fires to deal with, which she does, more scandals kind of happen every day. There's one the social work. There's some uh, plastic surgeon that was a USC professor that like did un- you know uh, unnecessary surgeries. and All this weird stuff that just coming out. Um, she's got a lot of things to deal with. So where's pri- athletics on a priority? Will she make a lot of changes? It's just hard to say. So Eric, I think it's possible, but a lot of things would have to happen between now and then if you're a big Urban Meyer fan and you want him to eventually end up at USC. Yeah, and I, I think in athletics, you could make one change and then just be kind of hands off and let that change take care of, uh, of the rest of the changes to come. Uh, uh, you know, again, you'd have to make that right, you know, change at the top uh, of somebody that you would just turn it over to and say, look, you're the expert. You tell me what we do here. Uh, and I do think, you know, Urban Meyer himself obviously is going to have, you know, a say in this. And I don't think we, we know what he's thinking, but he's going to spend, you know, the football season in L.A. Uh, on the Fox crew. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, Urban Meyer would have a chance if he comes back to USC. Again, this is high, I mean, you know, Clay could run the table next year. So, you know, I mean, I don't think that's totally impossible that Clay has a really good year. So, but if Urban Meyer has already been thinking, you know, I could win my third uh, national championship at a third different program. No one's ever done that in history. I'll be, and maybe I can kind of rehabilitate my, uh, you know, my image, my resume, my obituary uh, by coming back and, and doing it right at, at a place like you. I see where you could probably um, do it in a way that you maybe don't, you can't quite do it in the Southeastern Conference or maybe can't quite do it at, at other places just because USC is USC, where it is, what the opportunities are uh, to dominate the Pac-12, that kind of thing. So uh, there might be an outreach, you know, from an Urban Meyer that, that, that will determine things um, that we can't possibly know anything about. We don't know the health issue with, uh, you, know, with the, you know, with his brain uh, and the non, you know, uh, I guess, and I've never even heard it described exactly what the little, you know, growth is that, that he has that sometimes, you know, causes him. Uh, you know, severe headaches and things like that. They tell you it's not life-threatening or anything, but uh, but how that it would impact you know him. I, I don't think we can know any of those answers. But but if he would you know reach out to USC, just say you know hey, in case if you're interested, I might be. And he may not say hey, I need eight million dollars a year. Uh, you know, I think that's just throwing a number up there. Uh, but uh, but I think that will be a big factor as to what's he thinking. Yeah, huge factor for him, for sure. And for the people that are like, USC's terrible. Why would he want to go there? Like, I think Graham Harrell said it best. There are a finite number of college football programs that you can win a national championship at. No matter what you think of USC or Clay Heldon, whatever, USC is still one of those programs. So when you have an alpha coach, who looks at it and sees dysfunction and sees, but they also know, well, I can come in there. And if, you know, if he was given the adequate power, then he would just run the show and he knows he could win a national championship. So that's why someone like Urban Meyer would come there, no matter how the the doom and gloom is like, oh, they're they're so bad. They're just terrible. Like, well, it's still USC. Like the it's like you have the bare bones of this amazing mansion and you don't like the carpet and the paint and stuff like that. So he can come in and fix all that stuff if he was given the adequate power. But like I said, a million things would have to kind of happen for that to work out right. But it could it could possibly work. 
I mean, he won a national championship, you know, in, in, in Florida in some kind of dysfunctional situations that we look at, you know, what's happened, uh, you know, since. Um, he had a heck of a, you know, run at Utah. I mean, uh, beat uh, um, blah, 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 Alabama. Uh, just, you know, you don't, you know, you can't think that Urban Meyer is not sitting there thinking, if I were the coach at USC, you think he wouldn't think he's going to win a national championship? <laughs> of course he's thinking he's going to win a national championship. It's not even, it's not even a question in his mind. He's going to win a national championship yeah. if he's at USC. That's the only so, reason he would take the job is because he feels that he could, that he knows that he could win a national championship. That's why you would take the job. Yep. The thing, so, the thing I'm curious yeah. about is like, of course, there's a lot of variables that have to happen. I mean, USC still has a head coach. So there's not an open right. search right now. But in the vacuum of just Urban Meyer, how much in Carol Fultz's mind does the personal baggage matter to her and weigh in her mind? Because if she's supposedly coming in as the white knight and fixing a lot of the problems, that scandals that USC has right now, are you going to want to take on you own kind of Urban Meyer's baggage if you accept him into the university? You know, how much yeah. does that weigh in her mind? Whereas... She's like, hey, I'm putting out these fires. I don't want to start one on my own. You know, that's not what I want to be known for as this president. So I'm curious how much that weighs in her mind if that were to get to that point. Yeah. No, it's a good point. Because and then on for the Urban Meyer stuff, it's not NCAA related. It's all there's moral stuff that's yeah. there. So then, you know, how is that weighed in? And, and, and if you're keeping Lynn Swan or you're hiring someone else, I think all of that has to be weigh, like she would weigh in on all of that. And the other part of that is, how much better if you were going to hire an Urban Meyer to have a female president at your university? I mean, uh, you know, to be just be practical about it, she might have more leeway to do that than, say, your, you know, your typical male president. Uh, and I will also say this, that I thought she navigated as much as it kind of was icky the way she did it at North Carolina. She went along with the defense of North Carolina in the, you know, completely bogus uh, course uh, courses and, you know, African-American studies department that, you know, had more than a thousand athletes go through there and probably helped them win at least one or two national championships in basketball. She navigated that pretty well from the standpoint of the University of North Carolina. You know, she basically said, hey, or she went along with the defense that said, hey, NCA, you can't talk to us about uh, having no academic standards because we have no academic standards. It's not, you know, it's not your job. We, we upheld our academic standards because we don't have any. Well, you know, that was embarrassing. If you're one of those programs that thinks you're a top 25 university, uh, like North Carolina, Chapel Hill always, you know, has acted like it is, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow. Uh, and they lost their accreditation for a year from the Southern Association, but it worked. They won. They beat the NCAA. They basically suffered no penalties for the, by far the biggest academic fraud in the history of college sports. And uh, so she toughed that out. And, and so I would think she's got that kind of personal toughness to be able to handle an Urban Meyer hire, I think. I mean, again, we can't possibly know, but her track record says she can hang in there tough. We have one final question. Um, I don't know if you want to say something, Ryan. No, no, that was just... Uh, we have one final submission, but two separate questions from Don. Don says, how can the NCAA prohibit anybody from going to a campus or game? Aren't there civil rights involved? Why has USC not become proactive against the NCAA and its dogmatic policies? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that they would think they could do that. But, you know, finally, in the McNair case, uh, the um, uh, Judge Schaller ruled in a side issue that that was illegal in California, that California has a a Fair Employment Act that, that doesn't allow the NCA to impose their show cause penalty where every school that might considering hiring uh, a coach like Todd McNair had to show cause why they should not also be penalized. Uh, 
and again, again, uh, you know, according to NCA is appealing the ruling, but according to California law and Judge Schaller, that's illegal in California. One would think that the, you know, the Reggie Bush case would be uh, would be similar. That, uh, but then the NCA would say, well, we're not limiting Reggie Bush, we're limiting USC. And if Reggie Bush, you know, does come on campus, if USC does choose to associate with Reggie Bush, we're going to paralyze USC. I mean, that's kind of a backdoor way of, of doing that. Uh, but the NCA would, you know, hypocritically, obviously, uh, say that, oh, no, we're just, uh, we're just, uh, USC is a member and they've chosen to go by our rules and our rules are whatever we say they are. And no, they don't have to be fair and they can be different in every case and uh, blah, 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 all the stuff they say. But, uh, but I don't think they've ever really been tested. And uh, that would be one. If I'm the NCAA, that's probably the last rule that a ruling, a lifetime ban. Like Reggie Bush is the worst person in the entire history of the United States to be involved in college athletics with his penalty. That's just crazy. I mean, that's nuts. And, uh, and the NCAA can't de- defend it. Now we understand USC has made some, you know, uh, you know, outreach to the NCAA about it. We don't know. We haven't heard any, you know, where they're going to be allowed to, you know, credential him and all that. We hear maybe that the NCAA would just hope it goes away and say, sure, you know, if he's working there legitimately as a, as a member of the media, go ahead and, and, and you know, credential him. But, uh, I'm guessing they're, they're not going to let you put his name back in the record book and they're not going to let you, uh, put his Jersey on display at the Coliseum. Uh, but, uh, but but I I, I think that's kind of the NCA is not going to try to defend keeping Reggie Bush off the USC campus and obviously USC you know they can't when they're going to arrest him if he comes on campus I mean that's just that's just crazy which is where the NCA's uh, rulings get you into places that are absolutely crazy. Don has one final question and the final question of the podcast. He says, does Drew Richmond, the new offensive tackle from uh, transferred in from Tennessee, does he have a chance of starting or will the old I love certain guys way of naming starters still prevail? Oh, no, he absolutely has a chance of, of starting. I, I really do believe they kind of like this sort of competitive stuff. And I, it hasn't existed because of injuries and all of that in the spring, you didn't have that much challenge from, you know, the next group uh, for the, you know, the starting five or so. Uh, so I think they're going to welcome the fact that you have now somebody who's really going to challenge, you know, for a starting spot. And then if, if Clayton Bradley comes back healthy, which they're hoping for, uh, then you've got a couple of guys that are challenging for starting spots. And, and I, I think, I think they're going to welcome that. I mean, I think that's the, that's the missing piece in the offensive line is having people that are going to push those guys who right now you could pencil in as, as a starting offensive in alignment. But I think, uh, I think they couldn't be happier to get somebody who is going to absolutely challenge for a, a starting spot. And, and Rick, he's not coming here not to start. He don't start three years in the SEC and then transfer as a grad student uh, and not come in thinking you're going to start. So that's, that's, that's great. I think that's, his, that's the best thing that probably has happened with the offensive line is to, to give them that kind of uh, you know, challenge. And, and I think uh, Liam Jimmons is going to challenge a little bit the more he gets used to it. So if you get three or four guys that are really pushing you know, those top five, uh, that's exactly what USC needs. Yeah, and I don't think you bring in a graduate transfer one to play one yeah. that's not going to have a chance to start. Like, there's that's pretty much the only reason you bring him in. So, yeah. you know, oh, it'd be some nice depth or something. No, you're bringing in a guy he started for three years in the SEC. You almost expect him to start. So, it's sort of like you put Jalen McKenzie on notice. Hey, man, figure something out because with this guy's coming in, he's probably going to start. And and I think there can be, you know, if if he's the starter at right tackle, then. You know, does does Jalen challenge somebody else for a job? I mean, I think that's the that's the real beauty of this is is you know the challenge isn't just at one position, but it, it's kind of at all positions. Uh, so I mean, I, that's what you really got to like about it. 
that's it for the podcast. We done? We done. Nice. Um, well, that was pretty cool. Uh, good stuff. Good topics. A lot of things to talk about. It's still in the off season. It is. You know, I always say that. It's like, oh, what are we going to talk about? And like the Harvey Hyde podcast, we I don't think we had one or there was like not very many questions. And, you know, we, we did a short one. It was like half an hour, but it was like, oh, it was good. We're like, oh, we came up with a couple topics and you just start talking about it and there's always stuff you can talk about. I feel like here on the Dan Weber pond, we will never be short of topics. To talk no. about. <laughs> and we, we, we're lucky. We get a lot of questions, so True. it's good. Thank you to um, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for everyone sending those in, but make sure you call. We want the voicemails and stuff too. text. Those are fun. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, make sure you, you know, check out the event June 1st, common space brewery, Hawthorne. It's Saturday from three to six. Lots of great guests, lots of great USC football talk. Fresh local beers, if you like that sort of thing, and uh, cool food from the food truck. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Hope you guys are too. That's Keely Yor, Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.